This is Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff, the podcast where spiritual directors talk about stuff. How do we experience God? How do we evolve in our understanding of faith? How do we expand our picture of God's love? These questions and more will guide our talks. Here are your hosts, Chris Aker and Maggie Schlosser. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. And today we will discuss stages of faith development based on the model by Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick in their book called The Critical Journey. They describe six stages of the life of faith. Um, I remember reading this book in my spiritual direction program and thinking how helpful it was to frame the spiritual journey. I could see myself in each of those stages, and I remembered when I was in those stages. This book was really helpful for me to understand better where spiritual direction fit into the faith journey, because it it fits better in certain areas of one's faith journey than it does in others. And so we'll talk about that as we go along. Maggie, what were your thoughts when you read this book in our program? The first thing that comes to mind is that when I read it, I felt so affirmed. Um, I've mentioned in another podcast that when I was in school, I was going through a period of deconstructing my faith and I just felt very lonely. And I thought that if I had brought up some of the questions that were going through my mind uh, throughout this deconstruction, that the people that I'm talking to might doubt that I was a Christian. And I just felt very lonely. And then I read this book and I felt totally affirmed because it is part of the faith journey to have questions and to have doubts. And so it just reminded me that I'm not alone. Also, I thought that this book really had a lot of great implications for spiritual direction because it helps us pay more attention to the words that a directee uses to help us kind of figure out where they are and remind us to not push them farther on the journey just because we're, we, we feel like we're farther ahead in the journey. And that's it just was a reminder that their journey is theirs and that they're exactly where they're supposed to be and that as a spiritual director we get to affirm them throughout their entire journey, no matter where they are. I remember that um, coming to that realization too, about not pushing someone farther than they, than they want to go. That leads into uh, some words of caution that I wanted to say at first here. Um, I wanted to caution that these stages are not set in stone. You may not relate to one or more of them and that's okay, but the majority of people do tend to progress through these stages. It's also not always a linear process. You may find yourself in one stage and then due to some experience or pain that you that you have, you may move back to a previous stage. And also to that, Chris, it's possible and not uncommon for people to be experiencing two stages at the same time. And that's not necessarily two concurrent stages, but um, we talked about that there's six stages and it's very common for people to be experiencing stage two and stage five at the same time. Um, it's very common for people to be in one and five at the same time. Um, I also wanted to say that being in a higher numbered stage does not ne- does not at all mean that someone is a better Christian as someone in, that's in a lower stage. So the journey is very personal and everyone goes at their own rate or at the pace that God moves them. And the parable of the workers in the field demonstrates that the final destination is the same, regardless of when you started the journey. So we want to make sure as spiritual directors that we honor 
the stage that each of our directees is on and meet them right there in that stage. Chris, that is so good. That that reminder that the final destination is the same, regardless of where you started. I think that is just really important for anyone on their journey. Um, I'd love for us just to jump right in. And Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about stage one, what that looks like? Okay, great. Um, stage one, they call that stage recognition of God. And this is the stage that everyone starts. Typically, people feel a sense of wonder or a sense of awe at, at God or at nature. Um, and they also may sense uh, this great need for something kind of beyond themselves. That's when they kind of typically discover God. They have a sense of awe or a sense of need and they discover God. Life suddenly for them has meaning, whereas maybe before that, they didn't have any kind of greater purpose or greater meaning to their lives. Stage one often is described as um, having a sense of innocence. Um, since your faith is so new to you, um, it has not yet undergone trials and testing, and it's still very easy for you to believe in the promises and that you see in the Bible and to feel like those promises are always gonna come true for you. In each of these stages, though, there are also what the author calls cages, which are kind of hang-ups for you in that stage, and this sort of the downsides of each of these stages. When you're in stage one, you may feel a sense of worthlessness. When you kind of first realize how big God is, you think, well, who am I? You also may feel like that you're spiritually bankrupt, that there's just nothing there. You also may have a sense of ignorance about things of the faith because it's so new to you, you haven't learned much of anything yet related to your faith. And you also may feel a sense of martyrdom. So since God is so big and you're so small, you feel like, you know, I can do nothing and you know, my life means nothing in the grand scheme. Now, we're gonna also talk about our own experiences as we go through each of these. And honestly, it's been so long since I first became a Christian that I don't remember very clearly about my experience in stage one. I do remember the day when I made the choice in the Southern Baptist Church I grew up in to go up to the front of the church during vacation Bible school and tell the pastor that I wanted to get saved. And I do vaguely remember some sort, some sense of this need for God. I can't say that I experienced the sense of awe that the authors described, but I did sense a need for God at the time. So I went up to the front. I told the pastor I wanted to get saved. From that point forward was my kind of my stage one, where everything was still very new to me. What about you, Maggie? It's interesting because when I first became a believer, I felt like it was kind of a slow boil up to that point of finally making that decision to accept Christ. And uh, I remember when my mentor prayed with me over the phone, when I became a Christian, we squealed on the phone. There was just this excitement about this new life that I was entering into. And I remember just kind of being all in. I, uh, I was singing all the songs at church and I was raising my hands when I was singing and I was, um, I immediately wanted to get baptized and I just wanted to talk about God all the time. And so I think that was what stage one looked like for me, which it's not that that stage didn't last a very long time, but I feel like I moved into stage two pretty quickly. 
And when someone is kind of on that cusp between stages or in that transition, there's you can kind of get a sense um, that someone is moving from one stage to another. And as you're moving from stage one to stage two, it's very common for someone to be part of a strong group that's directly related to their faith. They start to feel that they want life to take on more significance. You remember there was a feeling in stage one of a God is so big and so great and I'm so nothing or I'm so worthless. And we start to sense that maybe there's more for us in this life. And so that feeling can kind of be the catalyst to move us into stage two. A lot of the times we find a very charismatic leader to follow because we see that being emulated and we want to just follow after that. And in the book, Hagbert and Gulick use the words crisis of movement. And that is kind of like the final step that moves you from one stage to the next. And it's, we move into stage two and we start to accept our self-worth and we don't want to be isolated and we want to be more part of this other group. I love what Father Richard Rohr says about these transitions from stages. He, he calls this process order, disorder, and reorder. And so when you're in, like, for example, stage one, you feel this sense of order because things make sense. But then like you were talking about, you kind of have these little bit of, of disruptions in your in your life. And that's the disorder. And you, you, you want to you want to grow more. You want to take on more significance. And that's the disorder. And then when you move into your next stage two, in your next stage, then you're you're back into that that reorder, which becomes order again for you. And that process takes takes some time, but it happens over and over. So in that crisis of movement of starting to uh, um, want to find a leader, a charismatic leader to emulate and wanting to join part of a group, um, that is kind of where we are led when we're into stage two. Stage two is called the life of discipleship. And for our faith, this is where a lot of people really focus on learning about God. So they get their meaning from belonging and being around other people that believe similarly that they do. Um, So they might seek out a church or a, a community group or small group or Bible study. And it's really common for people in stage two to look to a leader to help them understand their faith and kind of start to put words around what they're believing and also specifically what they are supposed to believe. Because they have this list of what they're meant to believe, there can be a very sense of rightness. This is what I'm experiencing with God right now and in my faith. And so this is the right thing. But that also brings a lot of security in their faith as well. Some of those feelings or the cages that people can feel when they feel kind of stuck in this stage and they're not necessarily ready to start transitioning out is going back to that sense of rightness and uh, knowing what to believe that they can feel very rigid in their righteousness. It can be a very we against them. My church is right because we believe these things and that church is wrong because they believe those things. But at the same time, they're also searching for answers. And it's not uncommon for them to find a church that believes the same things that they do. And so they might kind of church hop a little bit as well. Chris, tell us a little bit about um, what this looked like for you when you were in stage two. Well, I think stage two probably was a pretty long stage for me. As I grew up all the way through my school and through college, I was in Bible studies in which I learned a lot about the Bible and a lot about God. And then, you know, I would learn one thing about God and and it would lead me down a rabbit trail to want to learn other things. So I do remember having that, having that sense of needing to 
to just devour all the information I could about the faith so that I could learn more. And, and I felt if I learned more, I would become a better Christian. In a lot of ways, I feel like my stage one was just a blink of an eye because I am a learner. We talked last week about the sacred pathways, and one of those for me is an, is the intellectual pathway. So I love learning about God. I immediately got into a small group, which was something that I heard in church a lot. That was kind of my church's mission around spiritual formation was getting into groups and being able to talk about our faith. And I definitely switched from one church to another. I got baptized in one church, and then I switched the very next week to a different church um, because it did have a very charismatic leader and I followed him for a very, very long time. I looked to him for what the right things about the faith were. And and I became very rigid in my righteousness. Um, there was a period where I didn't drink and I let everybody know that I am a Christian and I don't drink and I'm following this very rigid set of rules, all the while still digging into Bible studies and small groups and having a lot of conversations just to learn more about who God was. Yeah, I definitely remember that that rigidity and, and feeling like, you know, once I learned something about God, then that was just the way it was. There was no other alternatives to consider. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. It's, it's hard to break out of that. Um, even now, sometimes I find myself in that situation. But, you know, going from going from stage two to stage three, um, it typically happens when when we recognize that we are unique and that we have we have gifts that we have been given and that we can start using those gifts for God. We also uh, we recognize our, our contributions and that they are valuable to the church and we start seeking more responsibility. And so this often is the impetus for us to want to move to the stage three. And so we start to take more risks and we accept that we are unique and that we do have unique gifts to share with the church. So that moves us into stage three, which the authors are calling the productive life. Um, the productive life is, I call it the doing stage. That is where you, um, you start being very active in your church. You sign up for all the different programs and all the different volunteer opportunities. You may also start teaching Sunday school and singing in the choir if you've got a choir in your church or doing all, all the things, essentially, because you feel like being active is what being a good Christian is all about. You feel that you have a, a sense of uniqueness in the church and that you are you are valuable. You have a sense of responsibility in some of the different ministries that you're a part of. Um, you, you place a lot of value on titles like, such as senior pastor or you know Sunday school director uh, and then the authority that those kinds of titles tend to take with them. Uh, you also put a lot of value on responsibility, especially resp responsibility that you've been given in your church and you value how much influence you may have over other people. And you tend to be kind of goal-oriented as well. And you so you set certain spiritual goals for yourself. Some of the cages or the, the hang-ups uh, for people within this stage three, the productive life, are getting overzealous about the, about the doing part of, of uh, this stage. You also tend to tire out. You get weary at some point from just actively doing so much all the time. Sometimes people uh, start to feel self-centered because they feel like, you know, what I'm doing is really important. So I need to, you know, I just need to make sure that I'm doing it. And sometimes we can also become uh, performance oriented. 
Um, and it's less, it's less about serving God and more about performing for other people. I do remember being in that stage after I had learned a lot about about God and about different doctrines that I was interested in, I felt like, well, now I can teach these doctrines. So I signed up to be a Sunday school teacher and I led a Bible study in which we went, you know, verse by verse through the Psalms. And then the next one, I, we, we did verse by verse through Romans. And I felt like, you know, I've got all this knowledge that I really need to share it with people. And I can remember getting to the point where I was, I was just really tired. And uh, eventually I just, I didn't want to do any more because I had been doing so much for so long. And that started kind of making me feel a little bit sad because I thought, well, doing is the important thing, right? Um, this is definitely a stage that I, 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 I relate to pretty heavily. What about you, Maggie? Chris, actually, I think that I was very obnoxious when I was in this stage because it was all about doing and performance and just how much could I do for God. Um, at one point, I was a small group leader. I was also volunteering with uh, helping people get assimilated into new groups. I was volunteering with a college ministry. I was volunteering with the high school ministry. And then I realized that I needed to be volunteering on Sundays as well. And so then I started volunteering with production. And then I added even more outside of church on Sundays with mentoring uh, women in spiritual formation as well. And I wouldn't say that I was that I necessarily got weary from all of it, but I started to feel unfulfilled by doing all of these things. And I wasn't enjoying a lot of the things that I was doing. But at the same time, because I was so involved in the church that I had a lot of pride about, you know, knowing that so many staff people knew who I was because I was just all over the place. And I was just kind of really braggy about that, even though I wasn't enjoying all of the ways that I was serving God. And there was so much pride around this long list of things that I was doing for the church that it really did become self-centered because it was no longer about participating in the realm of God and what God was up to, but it was about showing off about all the things that I was doing. Yeah, I, I can relate. Um, I don't know if you experienced this after a certain amount of time with, after all the doing and, and serving, but you start to think, man, is this, is this what being a Christian is all about? Is, is there nothing more than this? There's gotta be more. Yep. And that is kind of where that transition begins, those, that crisis of movement to move from stage three to stage four, because you're doing all these things and all of a sudden you're not as fulfilled as you once were, that there's a loss of certainty. You you start to notice that the things that were working before don't seem to be working as much. And you can start to feel like either you've abandoned the church or the church has abandoned you. And you don't necessarily know where to go for direction because everybody within the church has been telling you that here are the things you need to do. And it can become very confusing to somebody when all of a sudden that doesn't seem to work as much anymore. That part of that crisis of movement that really pushes you into step four is, is acknowledging that it's not about being successful for God and that there's a vulnerability in not doing as much as just being with God. And that is actually very indicative of stage four is kind of that journey inward. And faith in stage four kind of becomes around rediscovering who you are in God and rediscovering who God is in your life. So there's going to be a lot of perspective shifts that work here. 
because you notice that what used to work doesn't seem to be working anymore, this can feel like a life crisis or even a faith crisis. People in stage four lose that certainty of what the purpose of life is and the purpose of the church. We mentioned in stage two that you're learning about God and looking for answers, but people in stage four tend to be looking for direction and not answers. There is a, this look inward really pushes us to pursue personal integrity when it comes to our relationship with God. And we find that as we begin to shift our perspectives on who God is, that we find that God does not live in a box. And then we finally release God from living in this box that we've created for God. And this is something that I really noticed when I was in stage four as well, was that when I would start to be a little bit more vocal about the questions that I had or the doubts that I had, or even admitting that I find no joy in praying, what was echoed back to me was, are you sure you're a Christian? Um, So not only are we feeling bad about having all these questions all of a sudden, but other people that aren't as far along in their journey can look at someone in stage four and think that they've completely lost their faith and they've walked away from God altogether. So that was kind of my experience in stage four. It felt very lonely. Um, I felt like an outcast. I really started to question the purpose of of Christianity and of the church and of all the things that were on this checklist that I had been doing, especially because those things weren't fulfilling me and my relationship with God anymore. So Chris, tell us a little bit what stage four was like for you. Um, I want to say that stage four was probably one of the longest stages that I have been in. Um, it's definitely been the most profound in my Christian faith. And, and in many ways, I, I feel like, you know, you mentioned earlier about some, some people can be in more than one stage. I feel like maybe I'm still in stage four and also a later stage right now, but because, and the reason is because I, I am still questioning. I'm, I'm always asking questions or putting doctrines up for debate in my own mind and even with people that I've, that I've connected with that are interested in, in talking about these things. And so for me, the, the journey inward, as this stage is called, really kind of happened when my wife and I were part of a, a house church um, where it wasn't about doing, which I had come from in the Southern Baptist Church. It was more about just being and letting God become a personal God to me. So that's really where, where I think stage four happened. But, but like I said, I'm still questioning, and I, I think questioning is good, and we should never stop questioning. So that's one part of stage four that I want to take with me for the rest of my life. Well, and I think those questions are are great and that they are part of the spiritual journey. And for me, I felt like that there was a difference in how I felt when I asked questions when I felt bad about asking questions because I felt like I was letting God down compared to asking questions because I want to know more about God, I feel are two very different stages. So often after we've experienced this, um, this stage, we tend to let go of our spiritual ego and that, that sense of self-centeredness that came along with stage, with stage three, we, then begin to accept that God's purpose for our lives is more important than our purpose for our lives. We really want to seek a wholeness through a personal healing and a pilgrimage. And so we become more willing to commit to whatever it takes to do that. And that crisis of movement that happens is we find peace through giving up the search for ourselves. 
and we allow for new certainty in God. And that's interesting that it words it as new certainty in God, because that often looks like uncertainty to us. But we become very open to the cost of, of being obedient to whatever God has for us. Now, at the end of, or in really integral within stage four, but it tends to happen after we've experienced stage four for a while, is what the authors have called the wall. At some point, everyone hits this, uh, this crisis of faith, and we, we get to the point where everything seems to be falling apart. We, we know that it's time to kind of face the truth of what we may not have been willing to see earlier. We get to the point where our will comes face to face with God's will, and um, it often involves uncovering some of our deep secrets and fears and wounds that we're not very uh, comfortable with uh, facing. And we also start to consider what does unconditional love really look like? When we do that, we kind of sometimes feel like we are in, in the muck. It's just like wading through quicksand or just mud. It's just really, it's really hard time. So as, as hard as this wall is, it, it is really a crucial step in the process of faith. In order for us to progress from stage four to stage five, we must go through this wall. Um, there are some challenging issues, though, that keep us from, from going through the wall or that, that cause resistance to going through the wall. And one of those is ha having strong a strong ego. People with very strong egos tend to resist this because they, they feel like they don't need to. There's also those who those who are self-deprecating and they feel like, you know, they continue to kind of put themselves down or, or minimize themselves and they don't realize that that is also, that is actually working against them in and working through this wall. Another group of people may be laden with guilt and shame when they start to, to face some of these issues that the wall brings up. And if you tend to wallow in that guilt and shame, that can also be um, a resistance to working through those issues and pushing through the wall. Another group that tends to resist the wall is are, are the intellectuals, those people who feel like you know they can learn everything they need to learn. They always focus on staying in their heads. So they're not willing to go into the shadow work that is necessary often to go through the wall. Also, the high achievers, you realize that Going through the wall doesn't come from our own efforts, but to submitting to God's will. And so if you're a high achiever, then going through the wall tends to be more difficult. Also, people who put a lot of weight on specific doctrines tend to also have a hard time pushing through the wall because they are... Um, they really want to hold fast to those doctrines. And what often happens when you go through this wall is uh, doctrines that you've held firmly to for a long time tend to fall away. And then last, people who are, are ordained as ministers can tend to have trouble uh, with this stage as well, because once someone is ordained, then there's a lot of um, requirements and expectations on them within their specific uh, denominational group. That often includes assenting to specific doctrines and, and processes that tend to um, keep you from being free to go through this wall. So, uh, but going through the wall is a very important uh, step in the process. And if we are willing to submit to God and, and to do the work that needs to be done through the wall, then we come out the other side 
um, in stage five. I too spent a lot of time in the wall and for a long time, I could sense that I kind of was, I had one foot in stage four and, and most of my body in the wall. And then I would try to like jump back into stage four, but I knew that the wall was important and there was this like huge tension between it. And then I remember when I started getting glimpses of stage five and wanting to just jump out of the wall and walk around it or dig underneath it or jump over it. Stage five almost doesn't make any sense without um, having gone through the wall and Chris, you had likened the wall to a season of deconstruction. And I think that is just really perfect, especially when you're thinking about all the doctrines and all the thinking that happens. I like to describe my wall experience as well as deconstruction as thinking of a, of a city that has all of these tall buildings and each of those buildings is a different doctrine. And the taller it is, the more important it is. And through the wall, those buildings started to get knocked down. And then I started to rebuild the city with new doctrines. Some buildings hadn't been rebuilt. Some were built in the same spot. Some became taller, some became shorter, but I really did live in this intellectual space. I was thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking, and I was not feeling, I was not really allowing myself to feel the loss of what felt like a relationship with God because of all this deconstruction. And I really had a lot of shame around being in this space. And within church world, it almost feels like it's against all the rules to take a look at these doctrines that we've believed and have questions around them and maybe knock them down or maybe not even build them back up. And so there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes with all of that. I think you can tell that I really hated being in the wall. And this was the uh, source of a lot of conversations between my spiritual director and I, um, because I just wanted to, like I said, just get out of the stage and move on to the next one, because this felt very painful and it was a lot of work and I just really hated it. Yeah, I, I can relate. Um, it's it's not easy. It, it, there's a lot of instability when, when one goes through the wall. Yeah, I do believe that um, stage four and into and through the wall is what we are seeing a lot of uh, these days in um, what we're calling deconstruction. Um, other people may call it faith renovation. It's it's happening a lot, and I believe that it's it's a good thing to um, to submit to what God's doing. Uh, but it's certainly not easy. In my experience of going through the wall, we lost our church family, and with it, a lot of friends. And so that's never easy, but coming out the other side of the wall into stage five is ultimately worth it, but it doesn't seem like that when you're in the midst of it. Yes, Chris, that's so true. I really feel that stage five can bring this brand new sense of freedom because one, we're, we don't feel as burdened being in the wall anymore, but also our perspectives on so many things around faith change. We have spent the last two stages of our faith in more of an inward journey of knowing ourselves better and wrestling with all of the things uh, about faith and church and God and all of that. And stage five is when we finally start to take our learnings from this wrestling and uh, this loneliness and all of the things that we felt. And we start to uh, let that faith go outward. We are more surrendered to God and 
it is because of this renewed understanding of who we are and that we are more grounded and confident in all of that, that we can shift our focus of faith to more of loving outwardly. Stage five really allows us to love other people honestly and to choose love as the filter through which we live. Through all of this wrestling, we really learn to embrace the mystery of God and the uncertainty of our faith and just a general unknowing about the things that are so much bigger than us. And we can really accept that that is just part of life because God is so much bigger than us. Up until this point, there's been a lot of focus on our relationship with God. And I like to think of that as like the vertical, like get in the elevator, like you go straight up to God. And that is the vertical life is my relationship with God. In stage five, in this journey outward, we begin to understand that our vertical relationship with God is illustrated and demonstrated by how well we love other people. I think of that as like the horizontal life because we're going outward and we're loving other people. And we can do that with a renewed sense of who we are when we're created in God. Part of this horizontal life demonstrating our vertical life with God can often look like we don't care about quote unquote important things like creeds and doctrines and authorities because we're just really focused on loving God and loving other people. And, you know, if love is the primary way in which we know and understand God, then what else is important? And that kind of thinking can kind of keep us stuck in this stage instead of moving forward. I feel like I am in stage five right now with, you know, maybe still a small part stuck in the wall that I'm not willing to let go of. But, um, but I feel like I'm moving into this stage five and, and accepting, um, all that comes along with it. Um, a lot of my beliefs about, uh, about God and about, um, sin and judgment have changed. And I now realize that um, loving others, that horizontal life that you described, loving others is far more important than these doctrines that, that I used to learn about of sin and judgment, because Jesus tells us uh, to love one another as we love ourselves. And so we feel, or I feel that that, that is, you know, the primary motivation now. What about you? It's interesting because I've read the section on stage five, and I feel that a lot of people that I've talked to would describe me this way of kind of surrendering everything except for love for other people. Um, but there's a part of me that still feels like I have a, more than just a pinky toe in the wall, you know, that there's still something in there that feels um, a little bit lonely as I'm, you know, trying to uh, trying to to jump through the barrier between the wall and stage five. And it's interesting that in stage five, you start to surrender some of those important things like the creeds of the church. And it's not that I don't believe a lot of those things. It's just that it seems less important to put cement around the stake in the ground around this creed than it is about how we treat and how we love other people. About a year ago, I was having a conversation with some people about um, a, a sect of the population that often is marginalized and ostracized from the church. And and I have a deep love and passion for this community. And uh, and this woman that I was talking to, she was, she was hyper-focused on the fact that 
she thought that some beliefs around this population are a core tenet of the faith, which means that if you believe this, you're a Christian. If you don't, you're not a Christian. And I pushed back and uh, and she was not shy about telling me that she did not think that I'm a Christian because I didn't believe that this was that important of an issue within the Christian church and it didn't make or break someone's faith. And uh, a year ago when I was in the wall, that nearly broke me. But now I... Uh, I love standing up to people that tell me that I'm not a Christian because I love this community and that I think that they're all Christians if they want to be. And so part of that journey outward has helped me connect with God in a social justice aspect of it. You're such a heretic, Maggie. And dang it, Chris, I am proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, once you reach stage five and beyond, the label heretic doesn't really have a whole lot of uh, sway over you anymore. And I hope that maybe in a future podcast episode, we'll talk about that word heretic. And that's going to be a good one. I can already tell. Yep. So moving from stage five to stage six typically happens when uh, we stop striving and we just kind of uh, lean into the evolution that's happening and we start growing deeper. We start seeing God in all of life. That's uh, St. Ignatius thing, seeing God in all things. Um, so we, we actually do start seeing God in all things, and we start being God's person to do whatever God chooses to do. Our crisis of movement into stage six is finding that vocation that we feel like we are really meant to do, and um, we find it very satisfying. And being whole, um, and whatever that means, seems to be enough. So stage six is, um, I will go ahead and preface it to say, I'm not in stage six. Um, it's something I aspire to. Same here, Chris. Stage six is when everything else is stripped away and all that remains is the truth that God is love. Nothing else matters. Those in stage six tend to reflect God's love much more completely than anyone ever imagined possible. They demonstrate a Christ-like living in everything they do and a deep compassion for others. And because of that, they tend to have a very deep wisdom about things. And they also demonstrate a detachment from physical things. Um, and they just live a, a life abandoned to God. Um, this stage still has its cages, uh, like the other stages do. And it can look like a separation from the world. I, I can imagine that a monk who lives in, you know, in a monastery may live this stage six and, and they are separated from the world. There may be a neglect of our own selves in stage six when pretty much everything is about loving others, we may tend to neglect ourselves. And also people from outside of stage six might look at those in stage six and say that they're quote unquote wasting their life. And the authors of, our, of the book gave an example from Albert Camus' book called The Plague, in which a doctor just, he felt led to just move in with people that were suffering from the plague and um, knew that there was a very high chance that he would catch it and likely die from it. But he realized that this is what God called him to do. I don't have an experience in stage six, obviously, because I haven't been there, but uh, it's certainly something I aspire to. Yeah, Chris, same here. Um, I think it is a beautiful aspiration and I want that so bad. My guess would be that maybe Dallas Willard reached stage six in his life. And I also would venture to guess that most people that would characterize themselves in stage six probably are not in stage six. 
the authors of the book kind of uh, alluded to uh, the idea that very few people get to stage six on this side of the death line. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. That if you if you claim that you're in stage six, you're probably not. So that wraps up all six stages of the critical journey, uh, the stages of faith development identified by Hagberg and Gulick. We hope that you have enjoyed learning about these and that you maybe relate to one or more of these stages and could see where, where they may have been in your life. What are some of the things that you noticed when you read this book, Maggie? I think my biggest takeaway from the book, other than feeling completely affirmed and feeling like I wasn't alone and that it was totally normal to be in stage four and in the wall and all the feelings that came with it, um, my biggest takeaway was that the author said that the church, as we know it, the capital C church, I would say, is really set up to best serve people that are in stages one through three. So the learning about God and seeing ourselves in in community with God and with other people and to just do for God and just be overly productive when it comes to our participation in the realm of God. And then there's that shift that happens between three and four where where all the things that we were doing before don't seem to be working anymore. And the purpose for the church starts to be more confusing to us um, as we move into stage four. And uh, so it's it's interesting because then it's back at stage five that people come out of the wall into stage five with a renewed perspective of the church, that now the church is a place for them to go and uh, pour themselves out and help other people. But it's almost like they were in church from one through three, and then they maybe left the church or kind of pulled themselves away from that while they were in four in the wall, and then they come back in five. So there's nobody in the church in four in the wall that people can have these conversations with. And that's a generality, of course, um, but that was definitely my experience in that. And the implication from Gulick and Hagberg is that people that are in stage four in the wall, they are, it's very common for them to seek out spiritual direction in those times to have somebody to kind of process through all of the, the, this inward journey and this deconstruction and all of the loneliness that they feel in their relationship with God. And so it's, it's very common for people to see a spiritual director um, in that transition time. And then maybe when they come out into stage five, that they feel again, that renewed perspective of, of the purpose of the church. And it's less about being a spiritual consumer, but it's more about giving back as well. But that takes time to walk through all of the stages and you cannot get to stage five if you haven't walked through one, two, three, four, and the wall. You might jump back to other stages, but you can't get to the later stages without walking through the wall. Yes, that's definitely true. And I would also say that while it might not be mandatory, um, I think it is very important that you have a spiritual director when you go through stages four in, in the wall who has also gone through that process. Um, if you have a spiritual director that um, has not gone through the wall and, and maybe decided you know, that they wanted to just park themselves in stage three for the rest of their lives, which is certainly plausible and, and feasible, then it may be more difficult for you to um, to process what you're going through in stage four in the wall with that director. I had that uh, kind of that experience myself where I had to switch spiritual directors because I felt like um, I was trying to work through the issues that come with the wall 
but my spiritual director was not willing to, to go there with me. So that's also a very, a very important um, distinction to make. Well, thank you for joining us for episode eight. We hope you've enjoyed it and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.